Well, welcome everybody. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. How many of you are tired after four days of being at reInvent? <laughs> yes. There's a lot going on and we made a lot of really great announcements this week. So we really appreciate you joining us this morning for this presentation. So really our focus is obviously IoT, the Internet of Things, and we're going to be talking about post-deployment. So not just, okay, I've decided to deploy this, I've implemented it for a particular project, but where do we go from there? And, and really what some of our best practices, best practice experience we've had. So on stage with me today, so my name's Lorraine Bassett, so Principal uh, Worldwide Business Development Manager, responsible for the go-to-market strategy for the Internet of Things. And joining me is Oliver Cockroft, um, Senior Custom Solutions Manager in the outcome-driven engineering team who works on our, our global IoT projects, and Ben Kehoe from iRobot. And Ben is the Cloud uh, Robotics Research Scientist and Serverless Hero. Um, so he's going to be providing a great presentation today, really tied into actual real-world experience, um, tied into AWS. I always include these in my presentations. These are my fur babies. How many people have dogs? Yes, cats? Nope, yep, chickens? No, okay, chickens we're not gonna include. Yeah, okay, oh, there's one at the back. There's one. <laughs> so really, one of the reasons why I call this out is you know, I love my dogs, I love my animals, but we all have a, a challenge with fur, right? And um, you know, I have cats too, and all of our animals are rescues. And one of the reasons why I loved listening to the iRobot story is here we have a, a company who is really open to listening to the consumer and continually innovating on the pro product, you know, using the Internet of Things and the data they collect to help resolve and remove our challenges around things like dog hair, right? And it's bigger than that, and we're going to be talking about that during our presentation today. Look again, that's my dogs before we go further. Um, so agenda, what's the agenda? So we're going to be talking first about what's driving the Internet of Things, right? So we're talking about deployment, but what does that mean, right? So and why, why are we now talking about the need to scale? Um, so we're going to be talking, giving them a little bit of market information around really what's driving this dialogue today. Then we're going to be talking about the phases of IoT deployment. Uh, and the reason why we're touching on that, and we're going to repeat this, is that most IoT projects today fail, and there are reasons for that. And what we wanted to share with you is really some of the, you know, the phases of IoT, plus really where you would need to be as you get to deployment and then onwards. Then we're going to be talking about the IoT services that AWS provide today, and really how, and just give some examples on how you would use them to scale. Then we're going to identify the personas that are needed in deployment, right? So there are the initial, you know, most of us have been used to implementing IT projects, but really when we're talking about IoT, there's a lot of missing personas, and we really want to spend a little bit of dialogue around that. And then we're going to tie everything together and with um, iRobot, with Ben from iRobot, really discussing a real-world scenario, bringing services, bringing personas, and bringing real-world experience together on how they were successful in doing this. So let's touch on why this subject's important, right? So market research has indicated that by 2025, over 75 billion devices, data points, et cetera, or more, will be connected to the internet. And 
so there's, that's one challenge, right? There's the networking challenge of being able to connect all of those devices. But for most of us, it's what is the, the fact that 75 billion devices will be collecting data. And what we need to, so that means we're sending all that data over the internet. And more importantly, we need to act on that. And we need to do something with that data. And why that's important is probably estimates today from our customers, it's about 1% to 3% of our customers actually use all of the data that they're collecting today. They have the data, but they're not using it. And the reason why we're talking about post-deployment is now we're going to be talking about an unprecedented amount of data that's going to come from all of these connected devices and sensors. And more importantly, it's going to lead to new use cases and business models. So what we're starting to create as we collect the data are new scenarios. When customers first implement the Internet of Things, they're implementing it for two reasons, right? One of them is typically revenue growth, and the other one is operational efficiency. So if I look at revenue growth, you know, it's going to be, I need to create new business models. I need to really learn and gather data about products so that my products can get better over time. And I need to build better relationships with customers. You know, if I look at an example, we have Visio, for example, who have, who's one of our IoT customers. And they, they provide the televisions. And what they're able to do is they'll be able to, they, they do over-the-air updates to their televisions so their firmware is up to date. They're able to know when these televisions require maintenance. So imagine if you're in a scenario, you've got this great TV at home, and it breaks, right? And we know all from technology that these things happen. But what we're trying to create by gathering data and being connected uh, is that some, a company would actually call you and say, hey, you know, we project that in, you know, your TV needs maintenance, and it will break. And uh, not, they won't say it will break, but your TV needs maintenance, so we're going to send an engineer to you. So it's about building better relationships with our customer. And then when we look at operational efficiency, right, but let's look at, you know, the in industry, IIoT, for example. You know, you know we have, um, uh, you know, if we look at Volkswagen, not Volkswagen, let's look at um, Bayer, for example. You know, what they, today, um, they have... You know, in the world today, over 30% of food goes to waste. And here we have a company like Bayer that's actually taking analysis from, um, from the seeds that, that are grown uh, in order to minimize that food waste, you know, from, from planting right through until uh, food to table, you know, up to the table. So what we're really looking to do is to gather data and become more efficient in how we do our business in order to save money, reduce waste, uh, cut costs, for example. So in the uh, uh, past, what we've uh, looked at, these are kind of the four deployment phases for your normal IoT project. Um, so first one is really around uh, the prototyping phase, around evaluation of, your, uh, of the device platforms. Uh, what you're looking for is how does the, um, how does the market fit your needs and, and the use cases you're trying to develop. Um, the pilot phase, where we're really looking at designing new processes um, and evaluating some of the hardware opportunities that you've got out in the market. Um, and then limited production, obviously, where you're selecting your hardware, you're doing end-to-end -end testing of your, your product, um, 
getting ready and testing to get, uh, get uh, up to that scale production launch. But um, you know, here we're talking about just the phase one project. Um, and what's really missing in these phases is, uh, is that post-launch management of your fleet. And that's what we're really going to be talking about a lot today. Uh, the, where your fleet size is unlimited, you're going through rapid iteration of your products, and really you're trying to create uh, you know, a, a, a new experience for, and, and digital transformation for your company. Now, it's beyond shipping. It's about the decision-making that goes into, uh, across your whole company, uh, the planning, the execution, and creating new uh, business outcomes. And that's, uh, that's part of the digital transformation experience. So the first step in that digital transformation, or at least one of the steps, is where do I begin? As I said earlier, if only 1% to 3% of data is actually used, there's a reason for that. And it's because this is difficult and it's complex. And so what AWS provides today is we have AWS IoT, and we provide a set of managed services from edge to cloud to analytics um, that really is aimed to reduce that heavy lifting of understanding. If you look at the right-hand side of the circle, it's, you know, our goal is to provide an easier mechanism for you to be able to connect these millions of devices, to be able to connect them at scale and securely with Amazon Free Artos, for example, to be able to connect them to our gateway, Amazon Greengrass, uh, which is able to do local analytics and inference in, you know, at the edge, and then to be able to connect them to cloud, continuing to go to the left, all right? And so to be able to, and again, to connect them at scale in a secure way. And within that, as what Oliver was just saying, is so great, you can connect your devices, but then what come, how do we actually manage those devices at scale once they've connected and registered with our IoT um, services? And what we announced this year, we announced a couple of, um, services, and one of them was device management. So, because the challenge we had is that once, you know, through our customers who had these hundreds of thousands and millions of devices, the question came back was, how do I organize them, right? How do I put them into, if we've got a smart building, you know, do, how do I organize them into buildings, into floors? Same with smart cities. Um, so what we did with device management, we, and we, you know, we created this offering, this service, that enables you through the dashboard to be able to organize your devices. And what's coming out now, which became a requirement, was also to be able to do over-the-air updates at scale. Right, so what you can do through device management is push over-the-air updates and, um, you know, and then decide to do them in bulk, to do them at a certain time, to roll back if there's a challenge with firmware upgrades, for example. And this was really key for our customers to then say, okay, not only did I deploy, but now I know I can deploy and manage these devices at scale. The other example is security. And we get that a lot with regard to the Internet of Things. And so what we have an additional service called Device Defender. And again, it's in the cloud. And what it does, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of device connectivity and security for our customers. So when you enable Device Defender, um, initially, it does what we call audit, so it applies some of the top best practices in the industry to audit and make sure that you've configured those devices correctly. And then what it also does is detection. So you can apply and define rules uh, 
you know, if someone is constantly trying to attack, you know, or, or come into a certain port, or you get too many hits on a certain port, then we, you, your rule that you can define is, I need to alert somebody, uh, and I need to stop that, or I need to shut it down, for example. Um, so we have, um, you know, audit detection and then mitigation uh, with that device uh, defender offering. And this was key. So, you know, attach, you know, through Amazon three, uh, free RTOS, attach at scale, send data to our, our main IoT platform, use device defender for security, device management for, you know, being able to manage your fleet at scale. And then I'm going to come to analytics. Um, as I said earlier, it's not so much the challenge of being able to connect at scale. I think, you know, we've got that. Um, what it is, is what do we do with all that data that we're collecting? Why are we collecting it? What, you know, how quickly can we start to get insights from that data? Uh, that, I believe, is key. That's the value behind the Internet of Things. And the reason why we bring it up is, if you look at this scale here, most of our customers are pretty much at the collect stage. And where they want to be is that they want to be at the predict stage. And if you look at um, Volkswagen, so we made an announcement some months ago about Volkswagen. So they are now using our AWS IoT services. And they're collecting data from over 100 of their plants with the intention to improve operational efficiency. So they're going to keep gathering data and what they're going to do is use the analytics component in order to understand how do we improve efficiencies in our plants uh, globally. Um, so this is really where our customers want to be. They want to be able to get that data and be able to predict, how do I create a better business model? Right? How do I have a better relationship with my customers? And that, for us, is the game changer for the Internet of Things. And when you deploy it at scale, it's not just how we manage our, our it's not just how we manage it. It really is what are we going to do with this growth you know, how, when, we, uh, when we expand it. So for the analytics perspective, uh, really, uh, we really did take this heavy lifting out of this. So this is the third um, part of that wheel. It's still part of the AWS IoT. And so if you can imagine, you have tens of thousands or millions of devices connected. What, we're able to do, what you're able to do now is be able to ingest that data into our analytics services. And what we do, one of the, there's a multiple steps that we do with that data. Firstly, you know, we remove the noise. There's a lot of noise that's coming from that data. We enrich it. So you might want to enrich it with other data sources, for example. We store it. So we store it in a, in a format so that then, lastly, you can visualize it. And you can visualize it, for example, through QuickSight very quickly. Or um, you, know, you can use uh, Jupyter Notebooks, for example, to be able to do further analytics and apply analytics templates to the data that you collect. So the key is, is, is to really to take the heavy lifting out, the heavy lifting away, and also provide an additional, it's to be able to, for you to very quickly start to see that the, the data that's coming in. And many of you here are already using AWS. So what we do here is, when I talk about the AWS IoT services, they are implemented on top of the AWS native services. So really, if you already have a data source, for example, you have a data lake, when we talk about enriching data, we enrich data with that data lake as well. What you 
also can do is call up, so say you, you get data and you want to be able to act on it because you have insights. You can also um, you know, let, you know, call upon over 130 other AWS native services. Um, you know, so I want to store data. I want to call. I want to call SNS, for example. I want to use Kinesis, right? I want to do machine learning, right? I want to be able. Yeah, I want to be able to do machine learning. So it isn't a separate uh, scenario. It's built on top with the intent that as you're gathering data and getting insights, that you can leverage the AWS platform to do to go further. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go back here. So um, that's a little bit about the services. I'm going to talk a little bit more about how you'd apply this within your business processes um, and from a, uh, a company transformation perspective. So we're talking about this from the virtuous cycle. Um, you know, it's a long-term cycle. You're trying to create a flywheel of success. You know, there's different device types out there for consumer, for commercial, industrial uh, sectors, um, different market needs. But the end, the end result is this cycle still works. Um, I'm going to go through a few examples. I'm going to use a fictional example for a coffee machine, uh, uh, a building HVAC uh, system, and a manufacturing line. So starting with the consumer side, you know, the, the idea here with the cycle, you know, there's a, you're creating a new customer-facing service. That's, that's why you want to connect your product uh, to the cloud. Um, in this example of coffee ordering, you know, have it reorder coffee pods whenever the customer is running low. Um, and you're really about, uh, you're adding device value, you're adding business value uh, to your product. It's new revenue opportunities. Um, and the first thing you want to do is create those new data services to, to obviously do the reordering. But then on the device side, you're going to be pushing new OTA updates to the device, learning about how the, the algorithms for brewing coffee potentially need to be updated, um, and then funneling that back into your, um, into your fleet dashboards to understand how people are actually buying coffee using coffee. Uh, using their coffee machines. And you take all of that operational value and data and then start evolving your products and features and flow back into the, um, to the new data services. So you might be able to offer different flavors, create new, um, new revenue opportunities. And you're all, it's all about building a new uh, product roadmap based off the learning of your, your previous data, um, the data coming off your device. On the commercial side, it's going to look a very similar. Um, the example, right, you're going to launch a, a device as a service for HVAC. So instead of selling a, a, a chiller system to, your, uh, to a building, now you're going to offer cold air as a service. Um, so first thing you're going to want to do is enable new services for your dealers and maintenance people to be able to understand what's going on with the product and uh, whether there's a, an issue or you're, doing, uh, you're understanding what, what the operational uh, efficiency is of the product. Um, so starting there, then you're going to have to create new OTAs to, to manage the data access and control for your products make sure that the right people are able to go and see what's going on with it uh, when it's in, in situation, building managers, for example, the owners of the, um, the property, and then the maintenance people that are going through. Um, and all of that data is then going to flow back into your fleet dashboards. You're going to have more learnings and understand how you can then drive new uh, opportunities for your dealers and service staff. On the industrial side, it's a little bit different. So first thing you're going to want to do is improve the KPIs for your product. All right, um, in a manufacturing line, you know, the robots are, are pretty well uh, understood. But what you're really trying to do is understand the maintenance and failure patterns, for, uh, potentially. Using the OTAs to actually take that data and then improve the lifespan or efficiency of your robots. And that turns the data into uh, new, uh, new industrial processes. 
So um, you're using the ML and the analytics packages that we offer in order to, to then funnel back in that flywheel effect of improving the KPIs. It's all about lowering cost. It's all about increasing output. Now, in the past, we've really talked about the personas of an IoT project being these sort of six people. Um, last year at our Anatomy of a Successful IoT Project, this, this is the, my coworkers had, had, uh, had the personas identified. These, these are the, the people, you probably all, all of you in the room, maybe uh, uh, one of these personas. It's a core team for delivering your first project. Uh, it's about designing a device, you know, engineering it, rolling it out, and getting to that limited production. But for stage five, you're really looking across your whole business. Right? It's who is missing from this, uh, this uh, grid that could be leveraging your data. There's a lot of missing personas. These are people across your company. They could benefit from the data that's coming off your devices that your devices are generating. Could be the device data, could be the user data, could be the operational uh, information coming off the AI and ML packages. This is just an example of the types of people uh, in your business that probably do have an, uh, an interest in understanding what's going on with the product. Um, and we need to talk about how do you get access to the, the people that are access to your data. First thing is really identifying those people. So gathering requirements across your org, you're really looking at understanding people's priorities, what's going on in their lives, who, uh, what are the company systems that they're using, um, understanding the roles within the business. Um, and then you talk to them, you reach out, and you plan integrations for your device and your systems before you roll out, before you actually build your, your platform. Um, and uh, you know, start identifying the business systems that they're using. And these are just some examples, but you can think about internal dashboards. You know, your customer support team have a system. How do you get your data into there? Uh, external dashboards for your contractors, maintenance uh, teams, suppliers, potentially. Um, you've got the internal systems that your company's probably built on top of, you know, Salesforce, SAP, maybe the plant control systems. Uh, and then these external systems that your supply chains are using, manufacturers or retail environments have. How do you use the, the, da the, da uh, the data coming off of your device in order to, uh, to, leverage, uh, to enhance those systems and build new business processes? One of the things that really identify, though, is the path into those systems. Do they have APIs? Do you need to build a new, new API to get the, the data there? How often are you going to be needing to send that data to those systems in order to help the, the people that are using them? You're all, it's all really about future-proofing the architecture for your product. You don't want to build something and then realize your customer support team need access to a certain data point that you weren't pulling and pushing, uh, pulling from the device, pushing to the right uh, area of your system, and now you have to re-architect everything. Once you've got uh, the, um, the data flowing into these systems and these business processes, it's really about returning back to those people, asking them how they're using the data, if there's any, any requirements that they can give you to enhance the business processes, enhance their, their roles, create the feedback loop, because that's where you're going to really learn and evolve. It's all about engaging with coworkers, engaging with different uh, teams within your company, and improving everyone's business metrics. It's much easier to, to uh, scale up your project in phase five when everyone in the company is, in, uh, is involved in learning and evolving their, their business. And that really creates this virtuous cycle. Here's how you might layer these personas across the different areas of the, um, of the cycle. 
Um, so you have services and features targeting different people. You're gathering feedback across the, uh, as you go, go through these loops. And everyone gets benefit in, across your company. I'm going to do a couple of cycles through the, the consumer uh, flywheel here, just an uh, abstract example. But we'll add more, more personas with each cycle and create that flywheel effect. So it starts off with, you know, you've got your product management, you've got customer support using the analytics that you've built um, to understand what's going on with the, the systems. You've got your firmware engineer and DevOps engineer that are running the devices, understanding what's going on with your fleet. And then you might have customer support and finance that are using the data in the, uh, to, to, uh, to plan out what's going on next. Now you go through a second cycle. You're iterating on the product. You're iterating on the device data, uh, software. You're iterating on your back-end systems. So now you've added marketing into the, the, the mix on the analytics side. You've also enhanced and uh, created a new system for your customer support to be able to access and push and pull OTAs, for example, on the device itself. And maybe added in marketing into the connectivity and control service part as well. It's really about adding uh, where it makes sense and creating a roadmap for success. And then cycle three, you're really layering in the rest of the business, right? Warehouse and fulfillment now get a, to understand what's going on with sales, uh, be able to make sure that the right products are in the right places in the country. Um, you've got uh, your sales team is able to actually understand the, the sales data as well. And really, you're, you're creating a new business transformation covering all the value chains of your product. On the commercial side, it looks a little different, different personas, um, but same effect. Right, you're trying to layer in different people across your company at different stages, um, but you're prioritizing the implementation. So small wins that get big rewards, but also big, big uh, uh, changes that require you to work through a couple of cycles in order to get the outcome you want. Um, it's all about showing progress within your org, generating the new value. On the industrial side, different personas and rollouts, but, uh, and different people but you're really looking at completing that digital transformation for your company. And that's going to lead me into uh, bringing up Ben Keho up onto stage. So he's going to talk about how iRobot went through this, stage, uh, this process and how they're using the AWS cloud. Thanks. So I'm Ben Keho. Uh, I'm from iRobot, and we make the Roomba. And so the, uh, the start of this was in 2015 when we launched our first connected Roomba, the Roomba 980. So iRobot has been around since 1990, and Roomba has been around since 2002. But uh, we had never built a at-scale connected robot before. We built networked robotics. We built uh, even sort of cloud-connected robots in, within telepresence. But that was uh, at sort of a fixed scale, so it wasn't an elastic uh, system. And so in 2015, Roomba was already at volume. We were already selling millions of these robots a year, and so building a connected version of this was not a question of if we'd need it to scale, but how quickly um, it would be able to scale to the volumes that we were already at. And so as part of this process, right, we went through a lot of those early processes um, in the few years before 2015, and we selected a full solution IoT cloud provider, so somebody who provides sort of turnkey service um, for authentication to the cloud, for uh, uh, scripting on top of it, uh, for delivery of firmware images, things like that. And we selected them for reasons that were probably valid at the time, but even before launch it had become clear as we had gone through these processes that uh, 
that provider wasn't going to scale to the uh, volumes that we needed, and that they weren't as extensible as we needed them to be. It would have been hard to make an Alexa integration uh, on that platform, where today you can say, Alexa, ask Roomba to give the cat a ride. And uh, so we knew even before launch that we wanted to move off this platform. Uh, but we weren't going to get to it by launch. So we launched with that provider, but we had begun the selection process for uh, two things. We wanted to, uh, we needed a new connectivity layer, so how would the robots connect to the cloud? Um, how would they authenticate? And then we decided at that point that we wanted to own the application behind that connectivity layer in the cloud. Um, we had realized that the smart home was a, a more integral part of our strategy. Um, and uh, so we selected for the connectivity layer AWS IoT Core. And we knew that we wanted to build the application behind it on AWS. Now, we looked at the suite of AWS services. Again, we didn't have experience building scalable elastic cloud infrastructure. Lambda was new, API Gateway was new, DynamoDB had been around, SNS, SQS, these services um, had all been there. And we looked at the suite of services and said, we think we can build this without running any servers ourselves. And so we can skip learning that scalable elastic cloud infrastructure problem and leave that just to AWS. Uh, so we transitioned that starting in uh, January 2017, and that's been incredibly successful. So I want to share with you sort of the end state of, of what going serverless with AWS IoT and other AWS services looks like. So I want to talk about last Christmas. Uh, so we sell a lot of robots, and we do a lot of that business, like most consumer companies, in Q4. And all these connected Roombas, and you know, our whole line is connected now, all the Roombas that we sell between Black Friday and Christmas, they come online in about a four-hour window on Christmas morning. Yeah. It, uh, it is not... Um, well, and here's the fun thing about this graph. This graph was generated after we had cycled out hourly data. So this is registrations per day, and it's 20x. The hourly for this in that four-hour window is closer to 100x. Um, and so I want to tell you what the operations for that looks like at um, a global company like iRobot. We have a couple of people who do monitoring for us. And on Christmas morning, we had one employee who was tasked with taking any action. The only thing that that person had to do was upshard the Kinesis stream that fills our data lake. You've got more robots, you've got more traffic, you need some more shards. That's an automatable process, and at that point, it would have been hands-off keyboard for the entire thing. This is a non-event for us. And it's hard to understate just how magical that is. Right? As a company, our employees are at home with their families. Some of them are on Slack because it's fun to watch the numbers come in, not because they're worried about what's going to happen. During the month of December, we're not preparing for Christmas Day operations. We're building features to ship in January. Now, of course, getting to this point is not, you know, this is not day one that you can uh, do this. And so I want to talk about how we got to that point. So building trust in that platform for everyone to you know, have trust that that's going to go just fine takes time, takes experience, takes learning. You also need to know when things are happening if, they're, if 
it's all healthy or not. Right? And of course, for a large device fleet to work well with the cloud, you really have to build them together. You can't build them separately. Um, and then finally, you know, as you continue to build features for your, for your devices, you need to be able to stay current and stay up to date on uh, both what you can build and how you can build it. So trust is, of course, a journey. Um, it's not a destination. And you're going to start with low confidence. So Christmas Day 2017 was not the same for us. Now, it didn't go poorly, right? There are a few more things to tweak. We tweaked a few DynamoDB tables and things like that. Um, but everything went fine. But we didn't know that going in. That was our first Christmas um, with this new system. And so it was a little white knuckle during December of like, oh, God, how's it going to go? Um, but then going through it and saying, oh, yeah, you know, now we, now we know better. We, we know uh, we've seen this before. So we have both more confidence in it, but we also know that if something was to go awry, well, we've seen more of what happens during these things, and so we know better what healthy looks like. Now, of course, it's not always, uh, you know, unicorns and roses. Um, there are times where, you know, your trust in the platform decreases, right, when there are incidents, things like this. And there's no way getting around this. When you're serverless, you're trusting in a large part of the operational characteristics of your system to the provider. And a provider incident is never, uh, you will always feel uncomfortable. It will always feel terrible because there's nothing you can do to fix it. And during these times, while that discomfort fades a bit, it never goes away. Because there's a part, there's a time where you're not in control of your own destiny. But during those times, if you stay focused on the bigger picture, on the amount of time that uh, this opens up for you to create more value for your customers, going through those is, is, is not the same, right? You know, for us, uh, we like Kinesis. And you know, we could run our own Kafka clusters, and if there was an incident in Kafka, well then yes, we could fix it. But those incidents would be more frequent and last for longer because that is not what we do as a business, right? So instead, we use Kinesis, which, you know, just really works and leaves us to focus on creating value through cloud features for our customers. And this is, of course, a two-way street, right? We have enterprise support that's invaluable, um, it's great, uh, but it's a two-way street, right, that we communicate with uh, AWS about what our expected volumes are for Christmas morning. So they're not surprised, and we're not surprised. Now, understanding what's happening in the system is critical for any cloud application. And serverless uh, doesn't, um, doesn't change that. It, re it both removes a lot of things that you're responsible for looking at, but it also introduces new things that you wouldn't have had to look at before. So you want to find the right metrics, right? And CloudWatch Metrics has lots of things across all the services that you might be using. And finding them is one thing, but then also understanding sort of the semantics of them, what, again, healthy looks like and what unhealthy looks like, so that you can interpret them. You know, for us, we have daily fluctuations in our traffic um, because people schedule their Roombas, and there are definitely times where people more frequently schedule them. 10 a.m. on the East Coast is one of the big ones. And so we know that there's a traffic spike coming there. 
Now, if that spike is bigger than it was yesterday or smaller than it was yesterday, well, there are weekly variations as well. Um, but if it's bigger than expected or smaller than expected, that's something we have to pick up on and then start investigating, because there are various reasons that that could be, right? If there's lower traffic than normal, is it something where the robots are failing to connect to the cloud, that those messages are being dropped somewhere in the cloud, that uh, um, there's a ISP that's having a regional outage, right? We see those things too. And your initial thing will just be, oh, something's up. And your ability to quickly narrow that down into, into what may be causing it, which, of course, the root cause doesn't uh, leave you with something. If it's out of your control, doesn't mean that you have, uh, your work has stopped. You need to make sure that the rest of your system is responding uh, adequately to whatever's happening. And of course, requesting what's missing. I always tell people, never complain about AWS where they can't hear you. Right? It doesn't get better if you don't tell them. So for us, IoT at launch in uh, 2015 had something like eight metrics. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that could be happening on that platform uh, that you just couldn't see. Right? There was things that could be going wrong either in IoT or in the way that we were using it or in the traffic that was on it uh, that caused we would see the issue downstream of it, but we couldn't really inspect that uh, in, in IoT itself. And now there's like 100 plus metrics on IoT. It's great. Like you can see all sorts of things, and, and you can diagnose and debug all sorts of, of, of things, and that's great. Um, but part of that was customers coming to them and saying, this is what I need to see. So now you really need to have um, an integrated cloud and device plan. You can't leave it where there's, there's no boundary between them, um, or I should say where there is a boundary between them, where they're not talking to each other. The team is not, the, not just the devices in the cloud. Um, so that means thinking about things like communication limits. Right? Both on the cloud side, you want to be able to say, well, I'm not going to allow devices to be more talkative than this. Um, or I'm not going to allow traffic from one device to affect traffic from another device. And you also want to think about, on the device side, all right, the device code is coming from probably multiple teams. And you need a rock-solid gateway point on the device to say, I can throttle at this point, no matter what any of the code inside uh, the device is, is trying to send. Uh, so that's you know, giving you the same protections on both sides so that if either one is, is, uh, uh, has a flaw in it, you're going to catch it on the other. Reconnections are a big thing for us. Uh, you can imagine with a mobile robot, uh, it drives around your house and can find all of the places where your Wi-Fi is bad. Um, we actually, uh, some of our robots are able to show you a map of your Wi-Fi signal strength, which is fun. Um, but when they're on that sort of edge of Wi-Fi connection, they're going to be losing connection, reconnecting all the time, and making sure that that's throttled as well, right? Not just the traffic that you're sending, but how often are you inducing messages by connecting. These are all kind of things that you're going to run into when you have enough devices out there. You get all these edge cases. Phased firmware rollouts are uh, a thing, you know, we have this in the cloud, right? Canary deployments. It's just as important with your fleet, right? You want to roll out to, you know, a couple of devices and make sure, does everything look okay? Do they come back online with the new firmware image? Do they reject it? Do they roll back? Uh, you know, in the very worst case, which ideally you've designed your firmware update process to, to never brick the device. But 
you know, at that point, you're limiting your blast radius for that. And then you start, again, it's not, you know, five devices, then everything. It's five devices, then 100, then 1,000. And then, uh, you know, for us, beyond sort of those initial points, we do sort of batches of, of, of robots at a time. Uh, so we're continually rolling them out. And as you can imagine, with that bad Wi-Fi problem, there are robots that only take firmware updates sort of occasionally when the Wi-Fi, you know, when the, uh, the moon is in the right position and the Wi-Fi where they are is good. Um, so then the next piece is about uh, you want to keep learning, right? Just because there isn't a service to, to do something that uh, you want to do today doesn't mean it won't come around in the future. It doesn't... Uh, you know, services can unlock things that you haven't really been thinking about or been putting on the back burner as this is kind of a hard problem to solve. And so we're not going to apply time to it right now uh, because there are other things that are more low-hanging fruit. But then a service comes along or a feature comes along that unlocks your ability to do that or changes your ability to um, have the, the operations that you have in the cloud. You can replace that with a managed service that's going to do it uh, better. But keeping up to date on AWS is like drinking from a fire hose. Who feels like they've learned about all the updates from AWS from reInvent so far? Nobody. There's one person yesterday when we did this. And even then, they only meant about IoT, not all the other things that you might be using. Um, and so it's great when, uh, you know, when you see something new and you're like, oh, that's, that's new. But it's even better when you're not surprised by it. Um, if you get the ability, if you get the chance to, to talk with product teams and say, hey, this is something I need, um, and uh, be able to fit that into your, your roadmaps as, as well as theirs is great. Now, of course, sometimes you have to build it, right? For us, in 2016, when we were building our system, we, uh, um, we had to build things like uh, fleet management, right? Delivering firmware updates was not something that IoT offered at the, at the time, so we had to build that ourselves. Um, we also built fleet indexing using Elasticsearch, and we, we had to build those because it had to exist. You can't run an IoT fleet without those things. But now that those services do exist, we haven't actually migrated, and the reason is not because those services aren't good enough. If we were building today, we would absolutely be using those. But because the things that we have, they work well enough for us, that the time it would take to migrate, while in the end we would have something that might possibly work better, there's an opportunity cost to that. That would be time that we're not building features directly for our customers. Now, at the same time, there are other things um, that, that have impacted us. So we built you know, a thing to do SQS and Lambda integration uh, a long time ago, and that worked fine for quite a while until it didn't. And at the point at which we had an incident that was caused by our you know, Rube Goldberg machine. Um, that was the point at which we decided to switch over to the native Lambda SQS integration that existed then. Um, so again, right, you know, as long as it's working, don't do extra work um, to integrate these new things. So then coming to that, the end of that cycle of, you know, collect, analyze, and predict. Um, well, first of all, uh, this is the new Terra lawnmower, which, uh, if you go to the Aria downstairs in the expo hall, there's a smart home display with uh, one of these out there. Um, so that's fun. Um, but uh, 
once you start collecting that data, that telemetry uh, from your devices, you're able to find out things like what's engaging users, right? What are the features that they're making use of on the devices? And then you're able to validate assumptions that you've made. So, you know, before we had connected Roombas, all the information we got about how users in the real world interacted with the devices were surveys and beta groups, which is neither of uh, which are really your typical users. And so the only thing beyond that you get is little registration cards. And I don't know about you, but I have never sent one of those in in my life. Uh, so that was not a you know, uh, reliable mechanism for collecting information. But now we get to see a, a lot of details about the usage of the, uh, those robots. So before we had connected Roombas, we didn't know the average square footage that a Roomba cleaned. And so the sizing of our batteries was based on assumptions. And uh, with collecting that data, we could find out, uh, did we guess too big, and we made our battery too big, and we can make the battery smaller and the product less expensive? Did we guess too small, and we need larger batteries to better clean our users' homes? We can find out things like that. Right? And then we can also turn that information about how users are using them uh, and what, you know, after validating or uh, changing our assumptions, we can turn those into new user-facing features. So when a user buys a Roomba and they're pushing the clean button at 3 p.m. every Tuesday, we can turn that around and say, well, it looks like you know, uh, you're doing this often. Do you want to just schedule your robot to do it automatically? Because for us, we're sort of unique as a company our value proposition to our customers is that they shouldn't have to engage with the product. They set it up, it takes care of everything, and it's kind of out of sight, uh, just improving your life. Um, similarly, you know, collecting information about how often these robots, uh, how they go about their cleaning missions. We can help optimize that because we can understand the shape of homes, not just the size, um, because these robots map out the home to, to better clean it uh, and to know when they're finished. Uh, so then we can optimize th uh, through that. Finally, you know, beyond the sort of connected device user experience comes the sort of traditional uh, customer touch points of customer service, right? By having information about these devices in the cloud, customer service can leverage that when they're talking to the user to have a more in-depth understanding of what's happening from the robot's perspective. Right, the history of uh, how often it's cleaning and what happened during those missions, what the map looks like with you know, uh, what error codes were produced from the robot. And then finally, production forensics. And this takes, you know, there's production forensics that you run on your cloud to figure out, you know, oh, something's going wrong, how do I trace that through? But you can also uh, figure out uh, issues in your manufacturing once you have uh, devices in the field. Right? When something's going wrong, you can, they usually behave differently. And you can trace that through watching your devices in the cloud. And you can both use that to trace back uh, to your manufacturing line to figure out you know, which batches of, of materials from your suppliers were defective. But then you can also proactively reach out to users that may be affected. So the benefits that we get from serverless on AWS IoT, which of course has no knobs to tune, Right, when that 100x traffic spike comes in, we're not actually setting up saying this is how much traffic there is. And we have small lean teams, right? We have you know, a couple of people on operations, and we have the, the teams that uh, do development 
all of them work directly for the product org rather than you know, having a, a layered system where some teams are building technology that serves teams that serve the product org. Because we're not a cloud technology company. We're a cloud-enabled features company. This allows all of us um, in the company, but especially on the cloud teams, to focus on business value, right? What are we creating for our customers, and how can we marshal technology in support of that? And with that, I'll turn it back over. Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, and I think everyone will agree. I mean, it's great to hear a real-world story uh, from implementation through deployment. And it speaks to the importance of not only having an execution plan on, you know, when you um, implement uh, AWS IoT, but also the importance of a deployment plan and, th and through the phrases. And I saw some of you go, I want one of those, you know, but when you see the, uh, the lawnmower up there, I mean, how cool is that, right? It wasn't, this wasn't there four years ago. You know, iRobot grew and learned and innovated, collected data and, and really, continue to improve that customer experience and innovate on those products. So really great scenario, Ben, thank you. And as Ben was saying, uh, with regard to continuing the learning, uh, we do have uh, some great online courses and webinars that will allow you to keep learning about some of the core um, IoT services that we have. So we have a fundamental IoT fundamentals course, which is about seven hours long, plus we have individualized courses. Um, I spoke about Device Defender. So we have a level 200 to 400 uh, course to really speak about uh, the detail around that, uh, to you know, really um, how to improve security on IoT. So please, please have a look at that and learn more about that, that type of training. And we have our breakouts. So most of the breakouts are complete now, uh, but they're all available on YouTube. Uh, so you can continue learning. So what did we, just to summarize, what did we learn today before we go into Q&A, right? We learned that, you know, this was really about deployment. And as we mentioned, most IoT deployments do fail in the sense that, you know, there isn't a strong strategy and an execution plan on really what are the key business outcomes for IoT. So these devices, the number of devices will become more and more. The data that we're collecting will become more. So we, you, we need a clear strategy. And a, and a deployment plan on how we're going to handle this. Ben, uh, ben Oliver spoke about the phases of IoT deployment from phase one to five and the importance of phase five. I spoke about the services. So there are services available today that remove the heavy lifting that will enable you to scale from edge to cloud to analytics. It's available for you today. And then we identified the key personas that need to come into play. If you heard that, you know, listening to the iRobot story, you know, we are talking, you know, there are key, a lot of key players that need to come in to planning and execution to ensure that it's successful from end to end. And then we tied it together, really, um, just using a real world example from iRobot. So I'm hoping that this proved useful to everybody today on our best past, on our experiences with regard to deploying IoT. And what I'd like to do as we finish out on here is we are staying for about five to ten minutes afterwards. If you have any questions for us, then we're available to you. But thank you, everybody, and I hope the rest of reInvent will be fun for you. Thank you.